Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Today we have Wayne Johnson with us again. He is a librarian at Central Library. Today he's going to be talking about the train track removal, which we will be commemorating the 50th anniversary here shortly. Welcome, Wayne. Thank you. All right. Let's get started by talking about the general history of of the railroad in Lexington. When did it come to Lexington? Okay. Well, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the 50th anniversary is coming up on December 17th, 1968. Uh, which was a red-letter day in Lexington's history. That was the day that the long-planned downtown track removal and relocation began. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, the 50th anniversary is coming up. And this this was after 137 years of train passengers sitting downtown in a railroad station Mm -hmm. hoping that the train is on time. That's a a (laughs) plug for that famous train song, One Talk Over the Line. But anyway, train travel for passengers was a thing of the past Mm -hmm. when the downtown, uh, at least here in downtown Lexington, back in 1968. The track removal was a huge event in Lexington's history, and Lexington celebrated it with a grand program. There was a parade through downtown Lexington with bands. Speeches were made by dignitaries, and the dignitaries made a loop run over the tracks for a final time before they had a luncheon at the old Phoenix Hotel. Mm -hmm. The last train run, a passenger train run in downtown Lexington, started with an all-aboard, as usual, which was hollered for the last time, and the last train was called the Track Relocation Day Special, and it left the old C&O Railroad Depot off Rose Street. Lexington made a big to-do about this this final train, and they created train tickets which read Lexington to Nowhere Mm -hmm. because the the train leaving Lexington was going to be the last one. The last one, It was going nowhere. The train had about 200 guests, and they're all decked out in Old style striped engineer caps, compliments of the CNO, Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad. And after pulling out of the depot, the train traveled down Water Street, across Limestone, past the urban renewal downtown area, and under the Jefferson Street Viaduct, which, as we yeah. know, is currently being torn down. Yeah, that's interesting. That's it's coinciding now with the yeah. with the anniversary. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And it went behind the Eastern State Hospital grounds. And at that point, the last passenger train out of downtown Lexington became a new one. It christened a new connector bridge across the North Broadway, and it became the first to pass over the new rubber gray crossing at Winchester Road. And apparently, from my research, this rubber gray crossing at Winchester Road was actually the first one in the state of Kentucky. Oh, okay. And I remember actually as a kid mm-hmm. passing over the gray crossing many a time in a car. But anyway, it, it passed the rubber gray crossing at Winchester Road and it went just past Delaware Avenue. And then it went into the new CNO station on Delaware Avenue, okay. uh, which replaced the old CNO station on Rose Street. Mm-hmm. The train returned downtown, as I mentioned, and a festive lunch was held at the Phoenix Hotel to mark the occasion. This, like I said, was a very big deal. You mm-hmm. had to actually be in Lexington at the time to 
really understand how big a deal it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in school at the time. Uh, if I didn't have to go to school, I would have went. Probably would have went. <laughs> you missed out, Lena. Yeah, I know. I, I wish I'd skipped school that day and came down here. But, you know, the railroads really helped Lexington grow yeah. uh, when they first came here in the 1830s. But it was now hindering our growth. Well, I'm assuming the, that's why people were happy for the removals oh, because of the uh, for sure the opportunity that was yes, going to be. Yes, it would it would create redevelopment opportunities, and mm-hmm. we had the urban renewal agency project going on. So okay. Lexington was in the midst of uh, uh, redevelopment and energizing the downtown area, yeah. kind of like what's happening today with the new city center center point mm-hmm. area and the uh, town commons mm-hmm. that's planned for. Uh, pretty much where the tracks were back in the day. But, you know, we mentioned the history of the railroad in Lexington. In the early 1800s, Lexington could be said to be in its golden age. Mm -hmm. We were considered the Athens of the West. We were noted not only for our culture and education, with Transylvania being one of the preeminent schools in the country, but uh, we are also abundant with trade, manufacturing, and commerce. Mm-hmm. Well, an invention happened around the 1820s mm-hmm. that threatened Lexington's golden age, and that was the steamboat. River cities such as Louisville and Cincinnati began to flourish, and Lexington, far away from these river ports, began to see its economic interests go to these cities. The first railroad was at Lexington in Ohio, August 15, 1832, there's a, a grand dedication of the first railroad, and there was a six-mile trip made by a team of horses. Yes, mm-hmm. the first train was not powered by steam or diesel. It was pulled by a team of horses. Wow, those poor horses. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think they worked for free. Yeah. The first steam-powered locomotive was actually invented in Lexington by uh, Thomas Barlow and Joseph Bruin in Bruin's machine shop at the corner of Water and Spring Street. First locomotive was between three and four feet tall and had its trial run on March 2nd, 1833, and it was considered a success. Mm-hmm. But soon it was replaced by a larger locomotive from the east. You know, at the time, city officials really, they have to be given credit for not standing pat and just complaining about the steamboat taking all the business away from mm-hmm. Lexington. They realized they had to do something to counter the river trade advantage that cities like Louisville and Cincinnati had mm-hmm. with the steamboat. So the railroad was the answer. And it really kept Lexington from de- degenerating into a crossroads town where folks would continue on while traveling instead of settling. An interesting thing about the first railroad tracks in, in Lexington was a section of the old iron rails and stone seals or ties of the first railroad can be seen today on the UK campus. Mm-hmm. It is implanted in front of the engineering building on some type of dais. Yes. Yeah. And I've never actually seen it, or if I have, I didn't really notice it. But <laughs> next time I'm over there, I'm going to I'm going to go to the engineering building and look at look, Take notice. Look at it. Yeah. Now, with the advent of the railroad, mm-hmm. you have to have something called a railroad station. Yeah. 
Well, the first railroad station was located on the west side of Mill and Water Street, and this is around 1832. And the second one was located on the east side of Mill Street, near Water Street, basically across the street. Mm -hmm. In the early 1870s, the Elizabethtown, Lexington, and Big Sandy Railroad came to town, and a third station came about at the back of the Old Phoenix Hotel near Limestone Street. On December 16th, 1871, an agreement was signed between the city of Lexington and the E-Town, Lexington, and Big Sandy Railroad, granting the railroad the right to construct a railroad through the heart of downtown Lexington and westward to eventually where the L&N tracks, the Louisville and Nashville, mm -hmm. would be. Now, the most important part of this contract signed by our city fathers was that if the railroads ever had to be picked up and relocated, mm -hmm. the city would have to pay two-thirds of the cost. So it wouldn't just be picking up the tracks. It would also include paying for and buying up property rights along the, the line, mm -hmm. which the railroad owned, rail connections, crossings, etc. So it would have been a very costly project. Yeah. And for the next 75 years or so, this provision in the contract where we, the city of Lexington, would mm -hmm. have to pick up two-thirds of the cost, it, it gave city officials second thoughts about relocating the tracks. Okay. It would be really costly to do that. So that was probably what <clears throat> prohibited the removal for such a long time, oh, even though the city really needed to oh, remove it at the, at the yeah. turn of the, at well, least the 20th century. Yeah, that, that was the major reason why it took so long. It, yeah. Just the cost, working out the finances with the railroad companies really took it a while to happen. Now, in the 1880s, the L&N and C&O, would eventually begin operating trains in Lexington. And the railroad service in Lexington, the passenger service, was fast outgrowing its train stations. Mm -hmm. Well, at this point, you can say, enter Union Station. You know, we've talked about the first three railroad stations, but the fourth one, Union Station, was the grandest of them all. Union Station was located near the corner of Main and the Viaduct, Harrison Street Viaduct, which opened up on August 4th, 1907. The station opened up on August 4th, 1907, and it was used by the CNO and L&E railroads. At this point, the previous downtown railroad stations passed out of the picture. When it opened, Union Station was held by downtown merchants. Uh, the city and its citizens is one of the greatest improvements in Lexington's history. It would deliver customers from far and wide to Lexington businesses right in the heart of the retail district. In its heyday, Union Station served as many as 30 trains per day, and combined with the Southern Depot, which opened about the same time, and it was located out there on South Broadway, mm -hmm. combined with Southern Depot, Lexington served about 44 passenger trains a day. We actually had an old-timer, a common old-timer, because I'm an old-timer too. <laughs> he was in the Kentucky room yesterday, and mm -hmm. he he was visiting from uh, Mississippi, but grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And he was actually celebrating his 88th birthday the very next day. Wow. And we got to talking about Lexington history, and mm -hmm. I, I just mentioned to him, I said, well, do you remember the old downtown track relocation and removal? And he he did, mm -hmm. and he actually told me a story about how he was here in Lexington, probably as a 17 or 18-year-old, when Harry Truman came by on his whistle-stop campaign during the 1948 presidential campaign. And the train stopped up here near where the old Lexington Herald-Leader building is, the corner of Maine and Midland. Mm -hmm. And he told me the story about him being out there, and, <laughs> and I just sat back and listened to him. I, 
thought that that's a great that is a, a great story neat story you know people really back in the day they really depended on passenger trains to get them around of course yeah. you didn't have the automobiles like you do now or as many mm-hmm. and the plane travel was not as advanced so people really depended on trains to get around you know Harry Truman used it for his 1948 whistle stop campaign mm-hmm. we had other visitors uh, presidential uh, visits uh, William McKinley as president came to town mm-hmm. uh, on railroad uh, Theodore Roosevelt came to town and you know even you know normal people would use the passenger trains to come into Lexington mm-hmm. uh, people shopping famous people like presidents of the United States and even entertainers Judy Garland who was known to usually travel by house uh, <laughs> came to Lexington in 1953 <laughs> And traveled by train, oh. and they and met her. They, yeah, nice. and she she decided the uh, house travel wasn't for her, so she <laughs> used the train. And she was here for a pre-Kentucky Derby festival, oh, okay. and they had a big celebration for at the Union Station when when she got in. So that's how people traveled back in those days. <laughs> Well, after World War II, Lexington, like most cities, began growing outward away from downtown and into the suburbs. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, more cars and trucks, airplanes, gave people more travel options and alternatives. By 1957, Union Station had outgrown the passenger service it provided. Mm-hmm. I think at that time, the only train that was running was the George Washington CNO, which went both west and east. And that was the only train that the Union Station was servicing. So the Union Station was just deemed too large and expensive for that type of limited traffic. So in the summer of 1956, the CNO announced that they were leaving the Union Station. And on May 9th, 1957, the last train departed Union Station. And the next day, May 10th of 57, they moved into the smaller Rose Street Railroad Station. Now, I grew up here in Lexington, and I don't remember. I'm too young to remember Union Station. It was, like I said, they stopped service in 57, and it was torn down in 1960. But I do remember the Rose Road Station. Pretty nice station. But anyway, the Rose Street Railroad Station replaced Union Station in 1957, and it was the fifth and final downtown railroad station. The Grand Union Station, which we've talked about, Mm -hmm. was relegated to the memories of the passengers who used it. In 1957, a local newspaper described the Union Station as being like an elderly woman all alone after a youthful experience as a beauty and bell the ball. And as I mentioned, it was torn down in March of 1960. Okay, as we mentioned, after World War II, with the growth of the suburbs, construction and highway expansion, and increased reliance on automobiles, trucks, and airplane travel, railroad began to see a big decline in revenue. In 1947, the Lexington Planning Commission, in a comprehensive plan, recommended track removal from downtown. In 1949, Mayor Mooney, who used to be, after he retired as mayor, was a board chairman of the Lexington Public oh, Library. Oh, he was, a, yeah, he was part yeah. of our, okay. Yeah. When he was mayor, he looked into the track relocation, mm-hmm. but not much progress was made. At the time, there was a quoted cost of $20 million. To, to remove the to, tracks. To, to remove the tracks and the property, you know, take mm-hmm. care of the property rights. And, the and as you new, said before, they would be responsible for two-thirds of it. Yes, yeah. and that was what the price was being quoted in some of the 
research I, I found. And of course, Lexington couldn't afford that. But that's what really prevented Lexington from removing the tracks mm-hmm. even earlier than they did. And plus, they had to work out negotiations with the railroads, the LNN and the CNO, mm-hmm. because it's it was their tracks. Yeah. So, but anyway, in 1952, a man by the name of Fred Fugazi became Lexington's mayor, and he really began an intense exploration into getting the downtown tracks removed. You know, the tracks at the time were looked upon as like the Great Wall of China. It was hindering Lexington's development, and the only way to counter that is get rid of the tracks but like i said the cost and the all the other things that needed to be taken care of just hindered that decision well anyway like i mentioned in 1956 when the cno announced that they were leaving union station all of a sudden our good governor happy (laughs) chandler jumped into the fray and he announced they had a special luncheon for him here at the Phoenix Hotel. And I guess he was in one of his happy moods. <laughs> and he announced he was supporting Lexington and getting the tracks removed. And this really helped Fred Fugazi and the city officials mm-hmm. negotiate with the railroads when you have that kind of support, powerful yeah. support. Uh, yeah. Happy Chandler was a very powerful politician. But again, you know, it still took negotiations with the railroads and the costs were still prohibited. And we're also talking about property rights, which was very expensive. So that's all that they had to purchase all that. Mm -hmm. So it was not until 1964 when Fugazi became mayor for a second time that things really got going. On July 31st of 1964, Fugazi and city officials met with the CNO officials in Cleveland, Ohio, and presented the case for track removal and relocation. Well, this time the railroad agreed to doing a complete investigation of, mm-hmm. of Lexington's proposal, and they eventually came to see the benefits on their end mm-hmm. about relocating the the tracks. Of course, for the city of Lexington, the benefits of track removal and relocation was very apparent. 80-some-odd acres of downtown Lexington would be freed up to be redeveloped, and the city economy would re-energize with the urban renewal project. Mm -hmm. And and not only that, the traffic downtown would be freed up because uh, you have to remember the railroad crossings that went behind Phoenix Hotel on Mm -hmm. Water Street went through Rose Street, Limestone Street, Upper, and Broadway. So can you imagine uh, leaving downtown Lexington in afternoon train rush <laughs> and waiting or afternoon <laughs> uh, traffic rush and then having to stop at the corner of uh, Upper and Vine Street waiting for the train to, to go by? Yeah, I know, that would be I know you and I go oh, yes. home the same Well, we're waiting now way. anyways. Yeah. So we don't, <laughs> but it would have been a, a lot worse yeah, we don't have if to you worry. can imagine that. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that now. But anyway, as mentioned earlier, Fugazi saw the possibility of combining the track removal and relocation as part of the urban renewal mm-hmm. uh, program. And uh, the federal government ended up giving us actually $4.5 million. Mm-hmm. And a funny story, I don't think it was funny at the time, but uh, when we had this agreement, when the city officials had this agreement with the railroad, all worked out, mm-hmm. and they found out that the federal government wasn't going to give us the money for whatever reason. Yeah. From the story I read, Fred Fugazi got on the phone and called Hubert Humphrey, mm-hmm. who was vice president. Vice at president time. at the time, and, yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess they must have been buddies or something because <laughs> two weeks later we we got the money. Okay. So, and, and thank tr- you, Fugazi. Uh, yeah, he he made he made it happen. 
Now, from our research, it looked like the, tr- the actual track removal and relocation cost approximately $1.5 million. Mm-hmm. So not quite the... No, not quite the <laughs> $20 million that it, it was quoted back in the 40s, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, they met, as mentioned, with the railroad executives in 1964. And then, on July 12, 1966, after a couple years of research, the CNO and the LNN... Louisville-Nashville Railroad, mm-hmm. signed an agreement with the City of Lexington and the Urban Renewal Agency agreeing to the track relocation and removal. This cleared the way for urban renewal in downtown Lexington. Mm-hmm. One of the goals, I think, back in the 40s and 50s, there was a plan to have like a, a boulevard that went all the way from, say, Midland mm-hmm. all the way to Versailles Road, oh, okay. a Grand Boulevard. Well, we didn't quite get that, mm-hmm. but uh, Vine Street w- was, I believe, just two lanes at the time. Mm-hmm. So the urban renewal project enabled Vine Street to expand to, to the numerous lanes we had. And at this point, Vine Street was, as I remember, was two-way, and I know Main Street was two-way. Mm-hmm. And in 1971, it was decided that uh, in June of 71, Main Street one, one, went one way west and Vine Street went one way east. Okay. Anyway, this urban renewal mm-hmm. made all this possible. And you can give Fred Fugazi a lot of credit being in the forefront. And getting it done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Fugazi had a lot of accomplishments as mm-hmm. mayor. He, he's the one that got the city payroll tax going, which financed such projects as the uh, Woodland uh, a park swimming pool, mm-hmm. which I took advantage of quite a bit as a kid, <laughs> and it helped to develop our city park system. Yeah. When Fugazi died in April 1990, mm-hmm. a former city commissioner, John Kerr, said of him, he deserves a lot of credit for leadership in negotiating to get those railroad tracks removed. Yeah. He, t- he took that on when others thought it was impossible. And I think that's the mark of a can-do leader, a good leader, a great leader, is when everybody else is saying, oh, this can't be done. And he says, yes, it can. Yes, it can. I want to close this podcast with an editorial from the Lexington Leader on December 18, 1968, which I think describes how important it was for the railroad tracks to go away from downtown Lexington. Let me just read it, and we'll end with that. The editorial went as follows. The railroad tracks downtown, which have acted as a Chinese wall in curbing business development on Lexington's south side, are coming out, and with it, we hope, many of the problems which have been created in our community's central shopping district. Lexington Mayor Charles Wiley and the four city commissioners are to be congratulated for seeing the plan through, although the lion's share of the credit rightly belongs to former mayor and now city commissioner Fred Fugazi. More than a decade has gone by since Mayor Fugazi first proposed the track removal program, and it took him two terms as mayor, and the mayor cannot succeed himself uh, back in those days. Uh, before the program won the attention of the federal government as part of Lexington's urban renewal project. Without Mr. Fugazi's driving energy behind the program, the tracks would still remain downtown. With the removal of the tracks to the center of town, nine downtown grade crossings would be eliminated. Not only should this produce smoother streets downtown, but it should also eliminate many of the time-killing delays for hundreds of motorists who daily get caught by one of the trains (laughs) going through the city. 
Beyond the improvement of the traffic, the elimination of the railroad tracks should allow for the development of Vine Street and the broadening of the inner city to the south of Main Street. The Lexington of tomorrow will be built on much of the land which now is included in the 82 acres marked for urban renewal. To be sure, the relocation of the railroad tracks is not perfect, for it likely will create tremendous traffic problems on the Winchester Road whenever trains cross that busy thoroughfare during peak rush hours. An underpass or an overpass will have to be built there someday regardless of the cost. Mm -hmm. Now they eventually ended up doing an overpass on Broadway due yeah. to this traffic on the Southern Railway, mm -hmm. but they never built an overpass on Winchester, Winchester Road, Road yeah. but, but they don't have passenger service over there. Uh, it's mostly cargo. Yeah, yeah. Amtrak. Passenger service in Lexington ended in, in 1971 with the mm -hmm. last George Washington train leave Delaware Avenue mm -hmm. Depot because Amtrak took over yeah. passenger service and although they looked at providing service in Lexington, Kentucky, it, it never has come about. Mm -hmm. So. We, our passenger uh, train service ended in May of 1971. Okay. But anyway, to conclude this editorial, the Lexington leader salutes the city officials and particularly Commissioner Fugazi for carrying the track removal program to its present stage. We know it will be a program to benefit all Lexingtonians, and I think it has. Yeah. Well, this is interesting uh, considering all the changes happening uh, downtown with the town branch and. Uh, yeah. And some of the removal of the the bridges yeah. and um, sometimes change hurts. Yeah, this yeah. this this makes the town branch possible. <laughs> yeah. and it's it's interesting that the thing that they were wanting to do, having that boulevard from mm -hmm. Midland to uh, for sales Road, mm -hmm. uh, almost uh, yeah. suits what the town commons mm -hmm. uh, is going to be a trail. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. And this urban renewal, it's, it's interesting that it's this struggle has, is happening until now, even with the history and, and all that's been, yeah. been going on. So, Well, growing up here in Lexington, when the, when the Centerpoint project <laughs> kind of hit that uh, snafu there for a while, and it, it kind of reminded me of the urban renewal days. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would take 10 years to get <laughs> Centerpoint going. Yeah. Yes, I still call it Centerpoint. I've decided to call it Centerpoint for 10 years, and then I'll call it City Center, because that's how long we've had to wait. But, you know, let me just say this also, that we all live in this town, and, mm -hmm. and we all benefit from all the advantages of living mm -hmm. in a great city like Lexington, Kentucky, but it, you know, it's people like Fred Fugazi, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. These people played a big part in getting Lexington to where it is now, and the, the baton has been handed over to our new mayor, mm -hmm. and I'm sure she'll continue it. Mm -hmm. And but a lot of people have played a big part in in Lexington. And it's in our history, and they're they're to be commended for it. Well, thank you for sharing that bit of history, so that people know the history and, and know where we came from, and and hopefully that'll get us a little more excited about where we're going. So thank you, Wayne. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane. <laughs>